for people dining there, you know, the food comes to them. There's a sense of excitement and conspicuous consumption, but there's also, um, it's a quicker, easier option to get lunch when you work in an office in a certain area than having to go and drive to a restaurant and sit down. And that advantage is kind of built into it. And that is the case for almost all food trends um, that tend to be sort of longer lasting ones rather than fads of the season. You know, it's fascinating to me. There are clearly these fads that, like the bone luge, come out of nowhere and seem kind of ridiculous, but have a short lifespan. Others stick for a really long time. And some that seem really obvious never take off. Like your chapter about Indian food was fascinating. Yeah. Trends can kind of be on the uptick for a long period of time. And only when the conditions are right do they really emerge and grow into something that's national or international. Indian food's a great example. There have been people that have been trying to make it into sort of a national food trend, something like Mexican food in the way that it's really just a part of our diet or Chinese food for the better part of half a century. And people in the food business have been betting on this and predicting it and saying, you know, 1984 is going to be the year of Indian food. And it hasn't happened yet. It requires a combination of different factors from, you know, immigration rates to cultural factors like are there movies about India? Are people traveling to India? Um, do we know the names of Indian movie stars or Indian American movie stars? Are there these cultural figures or foods that we're familiar with? Are there foods from other cultures like sriracha hot sauce and Thai food, which are close enough that they can kind of serve as an entry point to something like Indian food. All these need to be in place and, and something needs to happen for them to sort of burst onto the scene. Hmm. You know, I was really struck when I was reading your book about the effort that goes into influencing our food preferences, essentially. Is it all an exercise, do you think, in opening up new markets and getting us to spend more of our disposable income on boutique foods? Or is there some kind of conversation that we need to have about whether it's socially responsible when people are going hungry in this country to obsess over heirloom wheat or artisanal sausages? It's a good point. I mean, there's that fundamental question of why should we care about this, right? Why should anyone care about food trend when, when there are people in the country and, and in our own communities who are hungry? And I think you need to look at it in another couple of ways is that, you know, food trends are the innovative edge of the economy and they touch everyone. It's not just wealthy people who are eating at very fancy restaurants. It's everybody who works down the line of the food industry, which is one of the biggest industries in the country that employs people from, you know, the six figure salaries to working wage jobs. And so with each new innovation, with each new trend, you're getting more money that's going into the pockets of those people that will then be able to feed their families. As well, these trends can have the impact of improving the food and the offerings that people who are struggling to feed themselves face. You know, the rise of the past number of years of community gardens, community-supported agriculture, uh, organic farming is in its way its own food trend, right? As, as the people who are trendy foodies in these different cities uh, pick up on that and talk about the need to, you know, be local and support community gardening. Money has flowed in that direction and um, assisted people in those those communities with that. So, so do you uh, think that there's a way in which some food trends, maybe particularly the health-oriented food trends, have potential to improve the quality of nutrition that people are getting who maybe don't have huge disposable income? I think so. I mean, I think these things trickle down when you think about 
something like organics. Organics, a number of years ago, um, was you know a very fringe kind of agricultural movement, and you could get organic meat and produce in crunchy smelling health food stores, scented like raw almonds and patchouli. Today, you can get that stuff at Walmart. You can buy organic produce at Walmart. You can get it at Costco. And it is less expensive because the market for it has grown. And so it becomes accessible to more people. And uh, as more people talk about food, that becomes not just something for wealthy urban foodies. It becomes something that ordinary people talk about as well in in their own communities. And, And so they demand better quality food, better quality food in school lunches and in college cafeterias and as part of, you know, food stamp programs where now people are saying, well, let us spend some of that money at CSAs. Why can't we spend our food stamps at CSAs? So I do think fundamentally it's beneficial. I don't think it's a let them eat cake kind of scenario where, you know, people are talking about cronuts and Instagramming it while, you know, the world's going.